They are the first and best team of mystery men ever to assemble for the cause of justice. The heroes that have been part of their ranks are legendary. They fight for America and for democracy, and yet no one has devoted a podcast to their exploits. Until now. Unfortunately, it's hosted by these guys. I don't care what Julia Schwartz says. Yeah, league sounds like a baseball team. I f- hate baseball. So there you go. Um, first f bomb of the show. Um, How did you not- beat me to the first f bomb of the show? <laughs> Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey present Tales of the Justice Society of America. Fridays at Two True Freaks. You see, Mr. Bond, you can't kill my dreams. But my dreams can kill you. Time to face destiny. We all feel better in the dark. We all feel better in the dark. Kick your ass! Since he's my friend, I'll have to kick your ass too. You know? First, you give us this stupid Poughkeepsie yeah, tape I mean, you know, bullshit ripoff. Because he's my boy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, check it. Let me tell you about these two dudes from Brooklyn. You won't view movies the same way again. Every two weeks you get something new and hate it or love it, they break it down for you. Tom DJ and Derek Ferguson been writing for years, got respect from the peers. Watch these movies for all benefit. The watching Halloween, love Tom rather spit. How about a couple musicals or maybe Dennis Quaid? But Tom's on a rant, directors be afraid. Episodes classic, don't get it twisted. And from the start, these two have been gifted. Tom loves Kristen and Derek loves Pam. Tom hates heroes and Derek can't stand. Remakes some movies that don't need remade. Watch out studios, they won't be played. So give it up for T and give it up for D. Coolest guys from Brooklyn, this side of Jay-Z. My name's B hyphen and it's time to start. Cause we all feel better, better, better in the dark. Before we begin, I have an apology to make. For what? What I would like to apologize to a view to a kill. Okay. And in fact, I've even gone so far as to call our esteemed colleagues, Ian Wilson and Don Fisher, a view to a kill surrender monkeys because of their love for that film. They still are surrender monkeys, mind you. And I don't care that you're English, not French, Ian. (laughs) But... I think after the recent viewing of the two films we're about to talk about today, I have to say that there is a film worse in the Bond canon than A View to a Kill. Really? Which one is that? We're going to find out. Okay. Okay. Now that I've got that apology.
apology out of the way. Welcome to the latest installment of Guilt Edge Bonds. Not only is this the latest installment, this is a landmark because we come to the end of the Pierce Brosnan era right. with this one, where we talk about his last two movies, The World Is Not Enough and Die Another Day. And get introduced to two of the greatest villains that Bond has ever known, Neil Purvis and Robert Wade. Jackasses. And you'll find out why. I guess. You'll find out why. And this may be the episode that sees... The split between the partnership <laughs> of Deja and Ferguson. Whoa, ominous. Hold on to your seat, folks. This may be the last veteran in the dark. You're going to see why pretty soon. So, this episode, we're at the millennium now. Yeah. In the Bond series. When last we talked about good old James, he had finished Tomorrow Never Dies, which was a moderate success. It made us money back. But let's be honest, has there ever been a James Bond movie that actually lost money? No, I don't think there have. There have been those that have underperformed. That have underperformed. The reason I think The View to a Kill, that the underperformance was such that even if Roger Moore had not elected to retire, he probably would have been asked to. Yeah, he would have been. Licensed to Kill. We've talked about Legendarily. Underperformed because it was caught in the crossfire of the biggest summer blockbuster year ever. Ever. And Tomorrow Never Dies, I think, underperformed as well a little bit. But that didn't stop Michael J. Wilson and Barbara Bacoli from forging ahead on the latest adventure, which was called The World Is Not Enough. The origins of this story are really interesting. Barbara Bacoli was watching the news one day, Mm -hmm. and they had a documentary about this newly discovered oil reserve in the Caspian Sea, which was the last great major oil reserve they figured they were ever going to find on this earth. Yeah. And the problems inherent, it's like the largest landlocked body of water in the world, because it's surrounded on all sides by both former communist and NATO countries. So it's a political hot. There's a big problem with trying to get pipelines in there. Barbara said, you know what? This sounds like something that Bond could get involved in. Especially with the topicality of there being a shortage of oil right. in the world. And Bond movies always work best when they're on the cutting edge mm-hmm. of world events, as well as the latest technology and fashion. Bond movies work good. And I will be the first to admit that I said at the beginning of this journey that we've been taking that the Brosnan films have been progressively worse with each successive one. Okay. After watching World Is Not Enough recently, mm-hmm. I've come to kind of reassess my opinion of it a little bit. I still think it's not a very good film, okay. but I do think it is better than Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah. I think its biggest flaw is its own hubris, its own attempt to do something very ambitious and failing. But we'll get to that. Okay. Now, usually in the last couple of episodes, I've been doing the play-by-play, and Derek has been doing the color commentary. Because these films are very much ones that Derek likes, and I really don't. No, you go ahead and do it so this way I can deflate each and every one of your points as you bring them up. Oh, jeez. I told you folks, this is going to be a throwdown. Sit back, relax. First of all, I would just like to say that as a Bond purist, I like the title. Because that actually ties into a past James Bond movie, Mm -hmm. which is... On Her Majesty's Secret right. Service, where Bond had to go undercover as an uh, expert on heraldry, and during the course of that movie, he finds the Bond family crest, and he finds right. the motto of the Bond it's family the is, is the world is not enough. I don't knock it. This is a very ambitious film. It attempts something... It's got the longest pre-credit yes. sequence of any over time. 15 this, minutes. Over 15 minutes. It goes on for so long that when the credits come on, you actually, oh shit, right. there's credits. <laughs> we should also mention... 
that they chose probably the most unlikely Bond director in the yeah. history of the franchise. Yeah. Michael Apted, whose main claim to fame is a series, you know, a of, series movies of movies called the, what they call the Up series. So they up take series. 14 Britons, yeah. he started them at age 7, right. and has visited them every 7 years. Every 7 since. years, and he updates us on mm-hmm. how their lives have progressed. Right. And this has been a straightforward documentary series. Mm-hmm. Nobody suspected he had this type of action movie yeah. in him. He's also done Coal Miner's Daughter, Gorky Park... Gorillas in the Mist. Yeah! Nothing that would lead you to think he could direct a Bond movie. As we get into the plot, I think the reasoning that Wilson and Broccoli had in hiring Apted is that Apted is primarily a character-driven director. And this is very much a character-driven Bond movie. The film begins... This marks the return after three films to Pinewood Studios and the James Bond set. They finally found (laughs) some time when it wasn't being used by other people. Isn't that ironic that James Bond can't use his own studio to film his own movies because it's so consistently booked? Well, this is James Bond. Can I use my... No, you can't. George Lucas has got it this year. We open in Bilbao, Spain, where Bond is meeting with a Swiss banker. Swiss banker. Why a Swiss banker is in Bilbao, Spain, we don't know, but he is negotiating the return of some funds. Right. We don't know what these funds are for just yet. All we know is that James Bond wants them back, and he's very mm-hmm. serious about it. Right. Matter of fact, he tells the guys, the only thing I just want to know is you got to give me a name. I want the name of the person that right. gave you the money. The guy says, oh, yeah, I can't give you that because well, I'm a banker. And, blah, blah, blah. and Bond throws off hand, yeah, we know the integrity of Swiss right. bankers. Which, if you don't know, folks, at the time this movie came out, it turned out that these Swiss bankers were mm-hmm. holding on to Nazi flags right. that it went back to World War II, and they hadn't told anybody about it. And that was a big thing that was in the so news the at the time. the Swiss banker tries to use his thugs to lean on Bond. But Bond has this little device where he wrote control that makes his gun. His gun, yeah. It's in his glasses. We see Bond wearing these spirits. Right. glasses. And we said, why is James Bond wearing glasses? It's not a disguise mm-hmm. because the guy calls right. him Mr. Bond. As it turns out, the guy takes his gun and it's on his table. Right. There's a remote control button on his gun that makes the gun right. explode. <laughs> but before he's able to get this information from the banker, the banker is killed by a woman who is known only in the credits as the Cigar Girl. And because a couple of minutes before, mm-hmm. she had a humidor of cigars that she offered to Bond and to the Swiss banker. And then she leaves the room. Now, this actress is a very well-known Spanish actress by the name of Maria Grazia Cucinata. Uh-huh. She had originally tried out for the role of Electra King, who we're going to get to shortly. Right. Apton didn't think she was right for it, but she begged to be in the film. And it, quite frankly, I think she does a great job, and she's hella sexy. She yeah. rules the whole pre-credit right. sequence. It's a very twisted Roadrunner Coyote. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I like in the pre-credit sequence, right. too. Because Bob gets the money. Right. He, takes he tries to chase after her, but she's already gone. The cops are coming because shots have been fired. Of course. He must have learned something from Waylon. Yeah. Because yeah. he takes a little grapple thing, attaches it to the, one of the unconscious thugs, and starts rappelling down the building. At one point, he wakes up, he's trying to hold on to stuff. Bond is stuck in the middle of... Yeah, he's hanging out right. halfway, like five stories yeah. above the ground. People are looking up and saying, who's that? Yes. Oh, that's James Bond. He but does this shit all the time. But eventually, the guy can't hold on much longer. He gets tugged down. I love the look on Brosnan's face after he lowers himself and untaches the grapple hook. He just kind of like looks at everybody, just adjusts his... Yeah, and he right. adjusts his tie, and he walks away because he's James Bond. Now, there was and a I- reason why Bilbao was chose. You remember that weird metallic building at the very beginning of the film? Yeah, you see it in the background yeah, as Bond crosses the street. the Spanish Guggenheim Museum. Now, supposedly, the way that it's built on sunny days, when the sun is shining on it, 
It literally changes from moment to moment. Ooh, cool. Acton thought this would be a really great Bondian visual. Except, of course, when they were over in Bilbao, it was overcast all the time. And you only see it yeah. maybe 10 seconds mm-hmm. when across the street and that's right. it. Yeah. He goes back to England. To and England. he takes the suitcase back to MI6. To Universal Exports. Uh-huh. This isn't Universal Exports. This, this, is, MI6 is, actual, this is actual MI6 headquarters. Is this the first time we see MI6 headquarters? Yes, it is. Because it's a very, Uni- very majestic building. Universal Exports is actually in London. There's even a subtitle. MI6 headquarters, yeah. London. But it's on the 10th. It's a majestic looking building. But yeah. this is the actual headquarters. We cut to Bond coming in. He brings the money back to bring the money. And, and her to, old college friend, mm-hmm. Sir Robert King. Sir Robert King. Who thanks him very much. It turns out that he paid this money for Russian defense plans. Mm-hmm. It turns out they were forgeries. There's a nice little bit of dialogue I like in that thing where King says to Bond, he says, oh yeah, well I could use a man like you in my business. Because he's in the construction right. business. And then says, no, well he's not into construction. Quite the opposite. Right. <laughs> so he goes downstairs to collect his money from Q Brand. Then is like, good job. I have a drink. Have a drink. And he sits down, and he notices that the condensation of the glass is causing his fingertips to fit. Yeah, like Alka-Salsa. And he realizes that the money, which he... Is something on the money. Yeah. That's not right. He was running to get to King before King... (laughs) And there's another nice little bit of business. Bond is running like a madman, screaming, make a hole, get out the way, get out the way. And he runs by Q, who just looks and just like, shakes his head like, that goddamn Bond is... Again, why why is it... Damn that bond. Unfortunately, he's not in time because we see that the pin that he wears activates something in the money, and the money explodes. Boom. Blowing a hell of a big hole inside of MI6 headquarters and completely disrupting the entire place. In all the confusion, Bond looks out, and there's Cigar Girl. On a boat. In this kind of... Emma Peel like red cat yeah, suit. Yeah, And she's got a rifle trained on him. Yeah, she's taking pot shots at everybody. Yeah. And Bond runs back to Q Brand and he goes there and it's a boat. Ostensibly, Q says later on that this is retirement boat to go fishing. What are you hunting <laughs> with missiles and machine guns? And what the hell are you hunting, Moby Dick? <laughs> this begins a lengthy chase along the Thames. It was apparently very rare for people to be granted permission to shoot on the Thames. That goes from MI. Six headquarters and Bond is in his little weird stealth boat looking thing that mm-hmm. goes underwater and yeah. there's that one moment where he a bridge like closes up and he goes under it and as he's going underwater he's adjusting he's his adjusting tie. his tie yeah and no matter what cigar girl does to get rid of him he's right, right. People, like I said it's like the coyote in the yeah. road run <laughs> eventually she beaches her her speedboat at the foot of the Millennium the Dome. Millennium Dome. And which again when this movie came out that was a big deal right. at the time and Michael Apton said oh. This would be a right. great place to film bonds, which they also had to get special permission yes. for because they have explosions exactly. and stuff going on. They, she hijacks a balloon and is about ready to make a getaway, but Bond's not having that. No. Jumps onto the lead lines mm. and is hanging from the lead lines, and she knows her time is up. But rather than be taken in by Bond, she is preparing to shoot the ballast mm-hmm. and explode them. Which she does. Yeah, she kills us. But he's like, going, no, wait, no, I'll, I'll help you. I give you my word. I'll protect you. And she goes, not from him. She said, you can't protect me from him. He'll kill me anyway. So so she figured, might as well try to take Bond with me. But of course, he lets go. And there's that really hellacious fall down the length Ooh. of the Millennium Dome. Part of which was done by Pierce. Part of which was done by a stuntman. Originally, it was planned to be a straight fall, mm-hmm. but every time they tried to film the stuntman going down the, the surface of the Millennium Dope, uh-huh. he kept 
catching on to the wires. And so, wait, the wires. And that looks kind of cool. And Apton said, let's keep that. Yeah, and that's exactly how Bond saves himself. It's interesting that, like, Apton seems to be very open to that kind of happy accident. Yeah, yeah, right. He integrates it into what he's doing. He just doesn't yeah. say, oh, shit, we got to do it over again. Right. He says, no, let's make it work. Something else that's interesting, in that usually when Bond gets hurt mm-hmm. in a movie... He's back in the next scene, and there's nothing wrong with him. The injury he gets during this fall is actually a major yes, it plot dislocates point. dislocates his shoulder. It's a plot point through the rest of the movie. And he goes through the rest of the movie with this right. injury. That leads us into the title sequence. Daniel Kleiman did the visuals. David Arnold, along with Garbage, did the theme song. And this is easily the best of the Brosnan theme songs. And I will even say it's one of the best of the Bond theme songs, period. <coughs> I think it <coughs> works. I think that Shirley Manson, who is the lead singer of Garbage, has that Shirley Bassey operatic tone to her voice. I will say this. The first time I saw this movie, Mm -hmm. I hated the song. I didn't like it. However, I will say this, and I think I've seen The World Is Enough maybe about five, six times since then. The more I see the movie, the more I get to like the song. Whether it being the best of the Brosnans, I don't know. Because you know my opinion. I know what you should do next time you listen to it. Put yourself in the mindset that, that is supposed to be Electric King explaining herself. All right. But I think that the song makes a lot more sense. It just sounds like too, it's too slow and draggy for me. Like a Bond theme song is supposed to pump you up. No, no, no. Like Bond Never Dies is slow and draggy. Oh, yeah. Well, that too. It's slow. Uh, this one, I think it has the... And this is yeah. better than Tomorrow Never yeah. Dies. Will you agree with me on this, that The World Is Not Enough is very, very, very distinctive among all the Bonds. In that it's one of the few, I think, uh, Honor Majesty's is another one, which is more psychological than physical. Yeah. And I think that because of the nature of this film, this kind of theme song, which is very moody and atmospheric. That's what it is. Yeah, moody and atmospheric. Is much more appropriate to it than something that would have been classier. Well, considering the way the story unfolds, mm-hmm. I will grant you that. But that's only because the movie itself is more right. atmospheric in terms of character right. and plot. It so, also has yeah. a great video attached to it. Yeah, yeah, Shirley Manson yeah. would have made yeah. a terrific yeah. Bond girl. I do like the video. Unfortunately, her incredibly thick Scottish accent, I think, would have prevented her from being, but she would have made a really good Bond girl. The thing about the climbing sequences is he comes up with some sort of theme. That ties in with the movie. In this case, the theme is oil. Is oil, yeah. Yeah, because you have all these like, figures in oil and all this. And you actually had world right. made out of oil, which is very appropriate. So we considering that the world does run on oil. So then we return back to the movie. We find that MI6 has moved to its <laughs> Scottish branch, <laughs> which is an actual <laughs> castle in Scotland. They ran. Yeah. <laughs> let's face it, MI6 was scared. They, they said, let's go to Scotland. <laughs> actually, isn't the funeral first? Yeah, they go, okay. the they go to the funeral and that's, where, and that's where we, we first see, we see Electric King. Uh, now, played by French actress Sophie Marceau. I absolutely, totally adore her. Mm-hmm. I think she might not be the most beautiful Bond girl in the world, but she has that quality that just draws your eyes to her with the moment she walks into a room. And, as an added bonus, she can actually act. And I think when we get to your girl Denise Richards, this is one of the reasons why I think she is so unsatisfactory in this film, but we'll okay. get to that when we get to Dr. Jones. Bond attends, and Money Penny and M, and then we cut to M briefing the all the double O's. Because oh, yeah. she takes this as a personal insult. Yeah, well, it is. Bond actually calls her on it because she's, she's I mean, like, "I don't want you going off on any vendettas." He's like, 
who's the one who's going off. They came and blew up her house. They killed her they friend. They blew up her friend in her yeah, house. They, exactly. So I don't see how she could not take it personally. And but you're right about that bond calls running. And it's only yeah. fear because how many times she said to Bond, oh, well, that's I don't want to learn. This film is as much about Anne as it is about Bond. Yeah, we find out a lot about her. I mean, we find out that she has children. She has kids, yeah. She's assigning assignments to the other double husbands, but not to Bond because, because of his, see him, he's in a sling. He's got a sling because of right. his injuries, right. and he hasn't been cleared by the medical branch. Right. So what does he do? Being James Bond, he seduces Dr. Wasn't it warm, warm Flesh. Warm, warm Flesh? Molly Warm Flesh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Dr. Molly Warm Flesh. Uh-huh. Played by Serena Scott Thomas, who is not a bad actress in her own right. No, actually, she makes the most of the little bit of screen time right. that she has. And she's also pretty damn sexy to begin with. You know. Exactly. But I hate that name. According to Apted, Purvis and Wade wrote this script. Apted wasn't satisfied with it. Gave it over to Bruce Fierstein, who co-wrote Tomorrow Never Dies. Okay. Because he said it was all about the women and the Bond had a very little part. So he asked Fierstein to punch up the Bond's part. Then they gave it back to Purvis and Wade. Mm-hmm. Purvis and Wade, I don't like these guys. We'll find out later. But anyway. And, but, however, you know something? You bring up a very interesting point. This is very much a women's Bond film. Right. I don't think there's been another Bond movie where women have influence right. what's going on and move the plot as much mm-hmm. as in this one. Because he's got to seduce Dr. Right. Warmflash to get back in certification. I, I personally think that's an embarrassing sequence. Or you see Serena Scott Thomas in her underwear, and that's nothing to. to well, it doesn't at. say much for Doctor Warm Flash's yeah. professional ethics. Oh yeah, she's a terrible doctor, and she knows that this guy shouldn't be out in the field. I know he's James Bond, but right. if one roll in the hay is enough mm-hmm. for you to overturn your professional opinion and put him in the field, yeah. when you know he doesn't belong there, and I think M knows that too. She's right. like, you know, this is a bunch of bullshit. Oh, we yeah. know the money pain definitely knows. Did she definitely yeah. she know? We, we see that Bond's also doing some research on his own. He's looking through the footage of when Electra King was kidnapped. Because we so learned that she, was, that she was kidnapped, mm-hmm. and Sir King went to M at that time for advice, and she said, we don't negotiate with terrorists. Right. Stand your ground. Mm -hmm. Eventually, Electra escaped. And in fact, we see almost immediately that he's got some sort of a sympathy for her as he's watching footage of her talking about her escape. And she looks bedraggled and broken down. Mm -hmm. And he's touching the screen. And James is such a fickle bastard. You know what the thing is? (laughs) He's a fickle bastard. There was very conscious choices throughout the film to make Electra in some ways have the same qualities as Tracy had. I think that was very important. Well, of course, well, we have the scheme sequence. Right, exactly. Where she's practically a dead ring and she's wearing almost mm. like the fur kind of hat. Yeah, she looks a whole lot like Diana Rigg. He's doing research as own. He's also being debriefed, along with some of the other members of the team, on the person who... Because he brings this to M and says, the money that I recovered was the same amount of the money that was demanded for Electric King. And that's when M throws everybody out the room because yes. she tells Bond, listen, I don't care who you are. You don't right. question me and I don't tolerate insubordination. Right. And he says, I'm not trying to be insubordinate. I just want to help. And that right. kind of settles her yeah. down. And then she explains the whole And she explains of the king, uh, that we are introduced yeah. to Renard, ah. played by the great uh, English actor Robert Carlyle, ah. who can be seen these days on Stargate Universe. Stargate Universe. And he was probably one of the better things in the otherwise so-so 28 weeks later. Yeah. He holds that first half of that film together surely by force of will. We learned that Renard was the person who kidnapped her. When Electra escaped, M put a hit on him. 
the hit wasn't successful. One of the double O's. Yeah. Not Bond, but yeah. 004 or 5. Right. Whoever, he ain't working anymore anyway because he fucked up. Right. <laughs> the bullet, though, from that hit is still lodged in Renard's brain. brain. Didn't kill and him. it's been slowly burrowing through his brain tissue. And during the course of it, it's managed to destroy most of his senses. So he has no sense of touch, of taste, of smell. And he feels no pain. His nervous system has been shut down. As they describe it so well in the movie that he can push himself further and harder yes. and longer than any man and he doesn't feel anything. I keep saying I'm going to go online and do actual research mm-hmm. and find out if that is possible right. that you can live with a brain. Because the human brain is a remarkable yes. thing. There's an amusing scene where they have a holographic you image see, I, of I, Renard's head mm-hmm. and Bond sticks his finger in it. Yeah, <laughs> see that to me is a sign of things to come in the series. Okay. That it becomes more and more in love with it, with its special effects and its CGI bullshit. Okay. To the point where we get to the next film, it's Lee Tamahori creaming over CGI every five seconds. And <laughs> asks Bond, it's like, okay, well, since you've been cleared by Dr. Warmflesh, yeah, he asks Bond to act as King's bodyguard while they continue to investigate. Investigate and find out what's going on. Which brings us to Abidjan, I think it's pronounced... Which is apparently King's homeland. Yeah. Uh, Electra's mother, as she puts it when he introduces himself, his, my mother found this oil. And that, to me, is a big... Because King is English and her right. mother is... His mother is from this area. From this area. And Bond first meets her. She is negotiating with a holy man to preserve a church. Right. Because the pipeline is yes. going to go through there and she promises him, okay, it's going to go around. Yes, in fact, she orders her people to go and start reconfiguring. He's like, what's well, going to take? He's like, do it now. Because this church is so old. Mm-hmm. It's in a cave. Right. That's how old it is. It's not even a yeah. building. And the people are there and they're saying, no, you can't put your pipeline through there. And she tells the people, nope, we're going to go around. around. Yeah. And they say, well, it's going to take this. I, said, I don't do care it. how long it takes. Just do what I Just tell do you. It. Yeah. And she explains to Bond that what's going on right now, the way that the Caspian Sea reserves are situated, the only way they can be transported out to the modern world is through certain Eastern European and former communist areas. Uh What her father was planning on doing was creating one that goes over and then is is independently owned. It bypasses that whole situation. She says there's something like three or four competitors that she's got that are all trying to build their pipelines to take the oil, and they're all sabotaging each other's shit. (laughs) She invites him to do a scouting mission. In fact, he actually invites himself and is like, yeah, I'm very good at skiing. Because she's got her own bodyguard. Right. And he plainly doesn't like the idea of Bond coming in and taking over his job. There's not much you can do because Bond says, well, listen, this is what M wants, and I'm along for the Mm -hmm. duration. So they go from this country where they're at, everybody's walking around in short sleeves and shorts, and now all of a sudden they're in the mountains, and it's snowbound, and they leap out of the helicopter, and they got... Which is beautifully shot. Well, it's a scene that, again, is very reminiscent of Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Right, and it's part of this thing, and we'll discuss why they make these decisions later on when the big reveal comes. They are attacked by a group of... And this is an actual thing. I thought this was just some bullshit they made up. Uh Uh-huh. These things are called parahawks. Oh, those are real. Yeah. Those are absolutely real. So they are attacked by a group of men on parahawks, mm-hmm. which are snowmobiles with parachute, which allows them to be dropped from great heights to land safely. They are evading and all this, and at one point he sends Electra away while he tries to deal with them. Uh-huh. There's that one really cool moment where he manages to destroy the parachute. The snowmobile goes over a cliff, and he says, equip. Only to find out that there's another parachute. Oh, and I love and that. that. Look. Bond gets this look on his face like, what the? 
He's got this smirk when he tricks the guy into going off the cliff. Yeah. Face out, dumbass. I tricked yeah. him off the cliff. And then the parachute opens and it comes back around to who yeah. wants him. And he looks and says, oh, shit. Yeah. Eventually, they end up triggering an avalanche and they get buried. Now, previously, and we should mention, this is Desmond Llewellyn's last film. Oh, yeah. There was a scene previously where he's being equipped by Q, and Q introduces the youngster, as he puts it. Played he's by... He's been grooming to replace, replace him. Replace him. Played by John Cleese. John Cleese. Of Monkey Python fame. Who Bond immediately christens R. R. He said, well, if you're Q, does that make him R? Now, <laughs> don't get me wrong. John Cleese grows into this part. And, in fact, he's one of the high points of the next film. But here he is playing Basil Fawlty in a lab outfit. Let's be honest, this scene was no more than a setup to introduce yeah. him for the rest of the series because Desmond Llewellyn knew this was going to be his last Desmond involved. Llewellyn had already it, informed it, the Broccoli and Wilson that he was retiring from the series. In more ways than one, because very tragically, he died in a car accident not long yeah. after this movie was made. And there's that wonderful moment where, remember how we, we talked about in the Dalton era, there was almost like a father and son relationship? Yeah, yeah. For a moment, we get that again because... Bond turns to him and goes, you're not really thinking about retiring, are you? At which point, of course, Q delivers the wonderful, and there are two things I've always tried to, I've always tried to tell you. One, never let them see you bleed. And what was the other? Always have an escape plan. He, and he just slowly, <laughs> with this terrific look on his face, <laughs> like, Haha, see you later. <laughs> and Bond looked there, and he's got a smile. But we mentioned that before, and I think it's worth mentioning it again, that it's really remarkable how with each of the different actors... Desmond Llewellyn's Q had a different relationship with Roger Moore, where it was like they actively hated each yeah. other. They did not like each other at all. As opposed to the very, very warm relationship he had with Timothy Dalton. With Timothy Dalton. Dalton, yeah. And again, with Chris Brothers. It wasn't the same one he had with Timothy Dalton, but it was a warmer yeah. relationship to him. This is like an unruly child. He has right. a tolerate. But, but he still the, enjoys. One of the gadgets that R demonstrates. There is that one great line, though, where he makes the R quip. He goes, ah, yes, the famous Bond wit. At least half of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But one of the gadgets that he's given is this stupid looking ski jacket that turns into an igloo. And he <laughs> activates it to protect him and Electra. And Electra starts freaking out. Yeah. She's claustrophobic. Well, we'll get to my. When we get to. Because there's going to be a big discussion about what's coming. Okay. Very soon. But she freaks out, and he's like, once again, don't worry, don't worry, it's okay, I'm here, I'm here. And creating that bond even further, forgive the pun. Fickle bastard. Later on, she summons him up to her private boudoir, mm. and you get the impression she's trying to say, well, why don't we do, it's like, no, I've got to find Why don't we not boot? Yeah, and he's got something else focused on, which is that equipment came from somewhere. And luckily, somebody he knows happens to be in the neighborhood who might know <laughs> where that equipment came from. His old buddy from Goldeneye. The Goldeneye. Play Valentin, Valentin, yes. Zukowski. Born James Bond. Meet Nina and Verushka. Lose the girls, Valentine. We need to talk. Why am I suddenly worried that I'm not getting enough insurance? He's now running a gambling casino, a gambling casino in the major city of Abidjan. What a coincidence. We see Bond, here's another little gadget he has. He has the, the X-ray. The X-ray sunglasses, yeah. And he's like, look, checking around, checking around, and he meets, of course. And everybody in this place is strapped, even right. the girls, for some reason. Yeah. Everybody. And he goes up to the private area and says, I need to speak to Valentin. And the guy goes, no, you can't go. He's mm. busy. And he's like, it's important that I see him. 
and the guy's still trying to pull those out, so what does he do? He grabs him by the head, pulls him back, stabs his tie onto the bartender. Yeah, the bar. Accepts his martini. And he takes his martini. And Shaken, not stirred. Now are you going to let me see? And here's where we get to meet one of the minor hench villains in the film, Mr. Bullion. Yeah. Played by the French drum and bass artist Goldie. For obvious reasons... He's got a mouthful of gold teeth, which causes Bond to say, appreciate a man who puts his money where his mouth is. (laughs) That's part of my problem with Purvis and Ways, is that they've never met a really bad joke they didn't like. (laughs) And this becomes really apparent in the next film. But anyway, so he goes to meet with Valentine, who is, of course, sitting there with a caviar, and he's got two girls. Well, apparently because he also has a caviar factory there, too. This guy, when you talk about diversification, this is a bad guy. He runs guns. He has a gambling casino. But you know what? He may be like a bad guy, but for all extents and purposes, he's Felix Leiter in this film. He comes to Bond's aid more often than not. Although he reminds me more of one of our favorite characters from from Rush With Love. Karen Bay. Yeah, Karen Bay. Well, when I listen to the commentary by Apton, he cites from Rush With Love a number of times. Ah, yeah. This is apparently one of his favorite Bond films, and I think that some of these echoes are very intentional. It's very apparent. I can only think of a couple of movies like from Rush With Love or The Majesty's Secret Service that are more character-driven in this movie. This movie really takes time to set up its characters, their motivations, so we're clear at all times who wants what and why. He is negotiating with Valentine about who brought these Parahawks in from the Russian army. Wherever. And who shows up but Electra. Ah. And Valentine's like, oh, yes, well, your father had a... A line of credit. credit. Ten million and I line of credit to you. Yeah, yeah. And she plays... One hand of blackjack for a million bucks. Valentine takes the money. Bond knows there's a fish rotting. It's a payoff. Yeah. Who comes in there and plays one hand of blackjack? He learns that there's something going on with one of Electra's assistants. Mm-hmm. And in fact, we learn that that assistant is in league with Renard, who ah. finally enters the film. Da, 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 da. In that really cool scene in that, what he calls the Devil's Breath. Yeah, where it's like all lava rocks well, and stuff. Yeah, the way he, he explains picks up, it, he yeah. picks up a rock. The way he explains it is that it's got these hot springs running under it, so there are these perpetually burning fires throughout the area, yeah. and penitents come and test their faith in God by holding on to the burning rocks. And he picks up one that we see is yeah. smoking in his hand and burning his flesh, and it's not bothering Renard at all. Yeah. Yeah. To make the long and beautiful story short and ugly, what Bond finds out is that Renard has been working with this one guy who was a former... Russian nuclear scientist to infiltrate a place where they're dismantling nuclear weapons out in the Middle East so he can get his hand on weapons-grade plutonium. Mm -hmm. The assistant of King kills the nuclear scientist intending to take his place. But Bond kills him (laughs) and takes his place. (laughs) This is where we meet someone that I think we're going to go to blows over. Denise Richards. I'm not going to go to blows over with you. Dr. Jones. I refuse to go to blows over with you because... As I maintain, James Bond's universe is a fantasy universe. And if I got to have nuclear scientists, I would want one looks like Denise Richards. And Derek, I will once again say to you, my problem with Denise Richards is not that she is playing a nuclear scientist in this film. It is that she does this entire film, and this is a film we've already established that requires a lot of acting chops because there's a lot of people who brought their A-game here. And a lot of people did. Denise Richards does the whole film in this kind of dull monotone, 
and I didn't believe any of the expository techno babble that came out of her mouth. Compare okay. her to Lois Childs in Moonraker. Lois Childs, if you want an astrophysicist in a Bond universe, you want her to look like Lois Childs, right? I agree. And she's not a great interface as an actress either, but she was able to convey her techno babble with the authority that made it sound credible coming from her mouth. I never believed a damn thing coming from Denise Richards' mouth. The only thing that I believed about Denise Richards is, man, that girl got a big rack. Don't she, though? Yes, she does. So when you got a rack like that, who cares? <laughs> You're not the only person I've heard this from. Universally, everybody hates Denise Richards. Not only in this, when I tell people what I like her in Starship Troopers, oh, she was the worst thing in that movie. Well, no, she was. But I'll be the she's first not, one. She's not when that. somebody's yelling at you about nuclear physicists don't look like that, I will be the first to be on your side and say, yeah, but this is a Bond universe. Yeah. My problem is that when you got on the other side of this film, Sophie Marceau, mm-hmm. who is an actress... An actual legitimate actress. And you've got Robbie Coltrane, who is a comedic actor, but an actor. And you've got Robert Carlyle. Which is why I think, if you notice, they never have any scenes with Denise Richards and Marshall. Yeah, Yeah. you know why? Because she'd blow the poor girl away on the screen if they ever had a scene together. I think that was done on purpose. That's why I think she doesn't work. She's not a great actress by any stretch of the imagination. But it doesn't bother me as much as it bothers Look, most people. I, I, admit, I, I, have talk, looks, I have talked to people that have actually been foaming right. at the mouth over Denise Richards. What hatred does this girl engender so much that people can't stand her? I don't understand it. Save my life. She's the one person who brings down the level of the acting. Granted, she's the weak acting link in this yeah. movie. I'm not going to defend her acting mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination. All I'm going to say is that it's not enough to spoil the movie for me, as right. it does for a lot of them. I know people no, that no, have told me, they said, well, I can't watch that movie well, because you and Denise I have Richards. discussed previously my major problem with the movie, and it's not Denise Richards. Yeah, yeah that's true. You know where Mike... I know where we're going with this, yeah. So, Denise Richards, who apparently likes to do Lara Croft cosplay in her time <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, because when we first see her, and that was the first thing I thought of when I said, oh, man, she looks like Lara Croft. Yeah. She is kind of suspicious of Bond. In fact, tries to catch him off guard by, by saying, speaking Russian. By speaking, and he of course goes back. It's like because he's James Bond. Of course, he speaks Russian. But of course, he still goes down to oversee mm-hmm. and comes across Renard making Stealing off with the war. The and this is the first confrontation. There is a fight in which Renard a uses knowledge that he should not have of Bond's injury. Ah, this is one reason why I like this movie. Right. That the shoulder injury is a major plot point. And two uses a phrase that Electra King used not that long ago. And of course, he leaves a little present to blow this area up, and it's just Bond and Christmas left. By the way, I think you might be right about that. Tell me theory. Oh, okay. Here's what I heard, folks. I have no idea uh, if this is legitimate or not, but this is a rumor that I heard. I heard that when the movie was being shot, there was a certain in-joke that was inserted into one of the scenes where James Bond makes a comment about how unusual Christmas Jones' name, her first name is Christmas. And she says, well, you should have met my father. He was named for the family dog. Mm -hmm. Which, of course, is an inside joke that her father was Indiana Jones. Supposedly, George Lucas heard about this. And he went to the producers of the Bond movie, mm-hmm. and he respectfully asked that they remove the line, which they did. I did try to do research to find if this was actually the case, and I've never been able to find anything to back it up. But Tom may have some corroboration. One of the features on the second disc of the Ultimate Edition mm-hmm. is a half-hour puff piece, obviously meant to to publicize it on a cable network. At one point, Denise Richards is interviewed, and Denise Richards says... And I quote, 
Oh, yeah, and there's a specific joke about my name. Granted, that's very vague, but yeah. when I heard that, that story went off in my head. But it could also refer to the... the but the, that joke was left in, though. The one at the end of the movie. Where I, was like, oh, I was actually thinking more of the long lines of... I, I think maybe that the, the, the Indiana Jones joke was replaced by the line where it's like, I don't know any doctor jokes. Well, listen... If anybody out there has heard this rumor, okay, corroborated, please let us know. I'd really like to know if, if it is true or not. We hear a lot of rumors here at Better in the Dark, right. and we always go to you, our loyal listeners, right. who were very quick to correct us. <laughs> so, and now back to the movie. Bond is beginning to become suspicious. For some reason, maybe because she has a big rack, brings Dr. Jones <laughs> with him back to King headquarters. At this point, by the way, King has called them and go. Oh, Bond has abandoned me, and I feel scared, and can't you come in? Yeah, she plays a little girl card. When she comes, and it's like her. And we should mention that in this movie, M is very much in mommy mode. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's not action hero mode. <laughs> yeah, she was just a bit action hero. So she and Robinson show up at King headquarters when Bond arrives with Dr. Jones, and Bond immediately starts with the urine on it. Yeah, you, oh, you're in on it. He knew Which about my shoulder injury. Yeah. I knew from about 25 minutes into the film, but we'll get to that. But he accuses her, and she does not do a good counter-argument, saying, how can you say this when I slept with you? Aren't we loobies now? Bond get, kind of doubts it a bit. But it is true. After they find that a bomb has been planted in the pipeline, which they presume to be the nuclear bomb that Reynard stole. That Reynard stole. Right. Bond goes and says, God, insert me in the pipeline. He turns to Dr. What do I need to, to defuse a nuclear bomb? And she goes, Me! Hot dog! And my breasts! Yes, Dr. Jones! <laughs> right. No time for love, Dr. Jones! Jones. <laughs> so they go off on this stupid little trolley thing. Are you kidding? That was one of the best scenes in the <laughs> movie! No, the trolley thing that goes like a thousand miles per hour. Yeah! But that's an actual device yeah. that they used to inspect the inside of the pipe. Oh, we've seen sure it before. This... Diamonds are forever. Diamonds are forever, right. Well, so why do thing... you say you're stupid? It, it just looked kind of goofy. They're, they're racing ah. off to try and disengage the bomb. And meanwhile, we cut back to King Industries, where Electra has a present for her surrogate mom. Oh, yes. And she opens it up, and it's Sir Robert's pen. The stick pen. And she knows that Bond was right. At this point, of course, all of her bodyguards go shooting the place up. Because as it turns out, when she was kidnapped by Reynard, he did the Patty yeah. Hearst thing on her. And actually turned it. What they call it, uh, Stockholm, Stockholm Syndrome. Syndrome, where you actually... And you know, she has resented Em and her father ever since yeah. for not paying the ransom. For not paying the ransom. And this is her revenge. So she's concocted. This whole plot has been nothing but revenge to get back at her father, yeah. M, MI6, everybody. Well, there's another reason for this plot. We'll yeah, yeah. A little bit later. She leaves Robinson. I guess they assume that he was killed, but he's not. No. And she makes off with M. Well, somebody has to be left alive to tell right. them that she's got him. Otherwise, where's the point in that? Bond and Dr. Boobs, I mean Dr. Jones, <laughs> reach up to the Bond. And for one thing, they notice that there's only some of the weapons-grade plutonium right. left in the bomb. So Bond tells her, even though she keeps saying, I can do this, I can do this. Like, so no, let it blow, let it blow up. up. Which they do, because Bond wants them to think that he's dead. He's dead, and the plot is going through. Do you want to explain why you did that? I could have stopped that bomb. You almost killed us. I did kill us. She thinks we're dead and she thinks she got away with it. Do you want to put that in English for those of us who don't speak spy? 
because there's just enough of the plutonium there to make a big hole right. and to register radiation, but right. not enough to really make a nuclear exactly. blast. Yeah. He learns from Robinson that Emma's been kidnapped. He goes to Valentine to say, okay, I know what that was. That was a payoff. Right. He goes to the Beluga Caviar right. Factory. He, yeah, he goes, what yeah. was King do? Now, granted, early in the film, we saw this curious contraption that is used to clear-cut forests. Yeah. It's got a helicopter with these like, series of blades. Series of circular saw blades. Saw blades. Right. And that's what they used to trim you know, right. the top of the trees. And we see it coming in in a very <laughs> bad CGI shot and proceeds to just tear the shit out of this caviar factory. It, it cuts Bond's car in yeah. <laughs> oh, Well, that actually, you spend like when Bond gets to his car and he's doing that thing where he's backing up with the missiles. And yeah, the yeah. And he's going you to figure, okay, this is the big Bond reveal gadget. And after said, we thought it would be interesting to just defuse that right away. But because Bond doesn't know, there's another one yeah. behind him and he's cutting his car yeah. so he's got a bailout of the car. <laughs> the helicopter's on sh- And he's jumping all over the place and Valentine is falling yeah. in the caviar and Christmas Jones is running around screaming. And and I should mention, by the way, the reason that Electra knew that he was still alive was because Mr. Bullion tipped him off. It turns right. out he's working for her. Yeah. He rightly figures out that this is an extreme case of Stockholm Syndrome, that Reynard is actually the henchman yeah. and not the main villain of this yeah. piece. A nice little twist, I right. thought. We'll get to that in a moment. And they learn that what that payoff was for was for Valentine's cousin to do a delivery in one of his nuclear submarines. Right. Because he, he's a captain of a nuclear submarine. Right. But it's not a, the delivery that they want. We see them arrive. They're given, look, I have brought you, I've brought refreshments uh-huh. and drinks while you wait. Mm-hmm. And it turns out they were all poisoned. Yeah. Electra explains that what she's planning on doing is she's going to take out the regular plutonium, uh-huh. put the weapons-grade plutonium in the reactor of the submarine. That will trigger a massive meltdown that will make pretty much the entire Caspian Sea radioactive. Nobody can get to the oil on except, the other side. Except for her. Except for her, because yeah. hers is on the other side. <laughs> it's on the other side. It's on the non-contaminated <laughs> side. So the whole world will have to come to electricity for the oil. For the oil. And of course the fact that she's gonna leave M right sitting on top of the nuclear device is added bonus. Is an added bonus. And Radar's gonna die too, but he don't care because as far as he's concerned, he's already dead. One of the most interesting things about this is that even though he seduced her at first, yeah. in a way she seduced him and twists him to well, her we way. That, we learned to that, her way. Yeah, they we, got a real twisted relationship. Yeah, we them learn too. somewhere towards the middle of this third act that this is how she's gone through life by using her body. Yeah. To turn men. She could turn me. Bond gets captured. I would fight. <laughs> you know me. I worry to say it. I'm like, I adore Sophie with Marceau. Bond goes to King's hideout and is tortured in this weird-looking seat device thing yeah. where she's drangling him by degrees. Mm-hmm. Valentin shows up. Valentin shows, shows up. up. I'm looking for a sub. Maybe you've seen it. It's big and black. <laughs> and the driver is a friend he's of mine. Idiot. He's an idiot, but he's a friend of mine. <laughs> yeah. And then he notices she's been wearing the hat and she put the hat down and she kind of puts two and two together. Yeah, that, yeah. He's and Electra just shoots him down in cold blood. Then Valentin does a very weird thing because it turns out his cane, which he yeah. carries, which as we found out in GoldenEye, he uses a cane because mm-hmm. Bond shot him. And there's a gun that's in there. Instead of doing what I would do in that situation and shooting her dead with it, apparently even though he's been shot, he's still such an accurate shot that he can clip the thing that's holding Bond's right. neck to this torture chair and so Bond can get free. Now, this is when the movie starts falling apart for me. Bond and Elektra have a confrontation. Final confrontation. And he realizes how incredibly 
bugfuck crazy she is. Yeah. Throughout the whole film, she's had her hairstyle in such a way that her ears are covered. Yeah. She explains, I tried to explain to Renard that you have to make it look good, you've got to show, but he was too in love with me to want to do it, so I had to do it myself. And you see that she's mutilated her ears. Yeah, she's cut off like half a ear. And that's why she always wore a big clunky right. ear. Some scenes there is, like when she went to the casino. Yeah. She had these big clunky Those very earrings. ornate, that very ornate earring on the yeah. on that one ear. But during the course of this... Bond has to kill her. He, sh- he kills her in cold blood. Yeah. Let's call it what it is. And she says, oh, you can't shoot me. You're too much in love with me. Bye. Yes. <laughs> he wasn't that. That brings us back to what James Bond is. He's right. a killer. So then he goes to Free M, who has already been working on it. That's how Bond finds him. Renard put a clock uh-huh. in front of her cell and says, at noon tomorrow, you're going to This is die. how long you have to live. Yeah. Right. So she grabs the clock, takes out the battery, and uses it to activate a homing beacon that Bond discovered discarded on the nuclear site. Right. And they give it to her. Right. And she uses that, and they find her by means of this tracking chip. Bond frees M, but Renard, he doesn't even know that she's dead yet, and he's getting ready to do the deed. Well, he's on the cell. And him, and Dr. Boobs, That's and... Dr. Jones. Dr. Boobs, and Dr. Bond Jones. infiltrate the submarine. And there's a little bit of punchy, punchy run, run in this weird set. And the way that the set is built is in such a way so that a lot of the fighting is happening almost vertically. One of the weakest fights I've ever seen yeah. in any Bond movie. And, and the way Bond that- is a bit of a dick in this fight. Remember at one point, why are you killing yourself for her when she's not even alive? You know, yeah. He's, he's saying, <laughs> guess what? I captured Woody. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? Yeah. And Raynard, of course, goes ape shit. But he ends up being impaled on one of the nuclear rods. Right. The crisis is averted. We go back to Scotland. M is closing up the case and goes to look for Bond. There's R doing a thermal search for him from a satellite. And it turns out in one of the weakest looking CGI backgrounds. Oh, yeah. That back where they're celebrating. Not convincing at all. And they they do the horizontal horizontal bot. And there's a really bad joke. What's wrong about you? Yeah? How so? Christmas only comes once a year. And the film ends with Moby's techno recreation of the bomb theme. Yes, so. Okay. I guess you don't like Moby either. No, Moby's okay, I guess. He did a really great song called We Are All Made of Stars. Really yeah, liked. yeah. Okay. My major problem with this film, mm-hmm. beside the fact that Neil Purvis and Robert Wade are idiots! is that it invests everything in the fact that we are going to be taken aback by the Electric King switcheroo, which happens about an hour and 15 minutes into this two-hour, ten-minute film. The problem is they are so intent on playing fair that they tip their hand almost from the very beginning. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't see it coming. James Bond movies are usually pretty straightforward. Yeah. James Bond has his briefing from him. This is the guy you got to go after. This is what he's right. going to do. And, he, and they did that with the scene with Renard and the hologram. So I honestly was not looking. But starting with that. I was not yeah, looking okay. for anybody else to be the bad guy. I thought it was yeah. Renard. Starting, starting with, with that scene where he's researching her kidnapping, and he's discovering that the amounts of money are identical, and it was obviously a message. Especially since if you look at the Brosnan films, they all try to tie into some sort of current event. Right. You know, GoldenEye was all about the fall of communist the fall, right. The end of Tomorrow war. Never Dies was about the, the way media... Yeah, world yeah, events. World I events. I said it all the way around. The second I saw 
him research that. I said, that's what they're going for. They're doing Patty Hearst. Right. With that in mind, it's easy to pick out. You know, it's like she never refers to it as my family. Right. My mother. My mother. Found this oil. Mm-hmm. My mother's land. Mm-hmm. My mother's people. She never mentions her Sir father. Robert. Yeah. That claustrophobic freakout she has rings so false to me. Mm-hmm. And I knew that Sophie Marceau was the type of actress that if it rang false, it was because it was supposed to ring false. Ah, I gotcha. So this film doesn't work for me because the big reveal is revealed to me far too early. I freely admit, you saw it before I did. I figured at the most it would turn out that she was brainwashed. Right. I did not actually expect her to turn out to be the true villain right. of the piece. And Reynard being the henchman, I really Well, I think that's I, one of the reasons why they tried to bring in as many parallels between Electra and Tracy. You're right. And so that we would still harbor that hope that she wasn't this monster. Yeah. I think also that we are both in agreement that Sophie Marceau does a great job, right? Oh, fantastic. But I do think that she goes a little bit on the scenery chewing in that last act. I don't think it ruins her performance, mm-hmm. but I think that once she's revealed as the villain and she starts doing these rants about, oh, man, I get men to love me all the time, <laughs> she kind of diminishes a bit in my eyes. <laughs> don't hate me. <laughs> yeah. Don't be hating. Um, <laughs> This is better than Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah. But I still think it fails. It's a very unique looking Bond. I think Apted I like. I love the locations. Yeah. It's varied locations. Although I like the fact that these are not glamorous locations. No, they're not. Some of them are very rough. Yeah. Parts of the world that Bond goes. Well, as Apted says in the director's commentary, yeah, we're giving you exotic places, but nowhere I think you'd want to have a vacation. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't want to go to Apted. Back to stand away. Yeah. No, that doesn't look like someplace I want to go. Or the Russian place where they yeah. take it out the weapons grave, plutonium. But I don't know. You, you don't like the movie. You don't think it works for me. I think it's a perfectly acceptable James Bond. Right. And I respect your right to right. There's nothing so. about it that I can really put, except for the last act where they have to fight aboard the sun. Yeah. If they wanted to conceal that reveal more, they needed to have done more with Renard. Because they originally had shot a scene that was going to be in the pre credit sequence with Cigar Girl talking to Reynard. Yeah. I think that would have been too early, but they needed to have had him do more in the film. And that was the scene that explains why Cigar Girl shot the Swiss banker, because they needed Bond to take the money back to MI6 to blow up Without inspecting it too much. They tipped their hand too early. And since this film is built entirely on us being taken off guard by Electra turning, it doesn't... And let me tell you something. Purvis and Wade love this so much... They do it twice in this next fucking <laughs> film. You folks thought that Tom was pissed off with the last one? Where do we get to this one? Mm, this one I'm pretty reasonable about. The one we're about to talk about, I would like to club it like a baby seal. I guess I'll die another day. I wish you would, I guess Madonna. I'll die another day. Okay, this one was successful. We're, we're gonna die another day. <laughs> so, this one was, was kind of, sort of <laughs> successful. Broccoli and Wilson start work on the next one. The first script that they come up with is called Beneath the Ice. Ice. They once again go back and choose another fairly impressive name. At least it looked good on paper. <laughs> Lee Tamagori, <laughs> who was perhaps best known for a film he did back in his native New Zealand called Once Were Warriors. Once Were Warriors. But also did a number of interesting kind of noir films, most specifically Mulholland. Mulholland, yeah. Mulholland Falls, is which I love. It's a wonderful, mm-hmm. wonderful, gritty 1930s. Yeah. With a wonderful cast. 
some weird choices in location, but the biggest news was when they signed Holly Berry to be the main Bond girl. First of all, that wasn't the biggest news. The biggest news was that they came out and they said, this is going to be the last James Bond classic. Ah, ah, Hold up, let me finish. Because while they were shooting this, they announced that there was going to be a new James Bond. Pierce Brosnan felt, why are you shaking your head? Because I have never seen anything that says that. They did. They said this was going to be the last one with Pierce Brosnan. They had said it in retrospect. They they didn't say it before filming. They never said it before filming. That's why they had all of the whole references. No, they had all of the past Bond movies. They had all of the references because it was the 20th Bond film. It was the 40th anniversary of Bond's first release. And they had said said that this was going to be the last one. And they they was going to reboot the series. Uh, because Bros's contract was up, Derek, and he said he wasn't going to do another one. If you show me a press release from that time saying it, I will apologize to you, but I have never seen it. Where's my baseball bat? I'm going to show you that. Right? <laughs> I, no, see, the first time I heard them talk about rebooting it was okay. after the fact. They had okay. talked about going forward with Bros and th- that... So, okay, so going back... But if you... I wait, promise wait, hold, you... Hold on, wait, wait. Let me ask you a question. Okay. Okay, given that statement, mm-hmm. so do you think what happened was that they saw how badly this movie was received? Because it was savage by the critics. Do you think maybe they scratched their head and said, you know what, maybe we could... And given the fact of the matter that now the Bourne movies were so hot... I think this predates the first Bourne movie. I think it was the pressure from MGM after this film did so badly okay. that made them think of rebooting it. And that's why it took a while for... Cause, you know, we had another one of these breaks, although nowhere near as bad as the break between... License, License to, kill to Kill and Goldeneye. Uh, Goldeneye, yeah. We still had a fairly large break. What was it, like three, four years? It was like about four years. Yeah, three, four years, yeah. While Broccoli and Wilson regrouped and decided what they were going to do. And also, keep in mind, MGM really had a lot riding on this film. Mm-hmm. They wanted to spin stuff off from this movie. Also, Brosnan was getting... How many movies did he sign for? He only signed for three? I think so, yeah. And then I think he only did this one on the provision that it was going to be the last okay. one that he was going to do. But I will say, right here... In public, that if mm-hmm. you show me a press release mm-hmm. predating the release of this film mm-hmm. saying this, I will apologize in public. Oh, you don't have to apologize because but, I'm just yeah. saying this is something that I heard. I okay. don't know if it's true. If somebody out there knows something about this, if you've heard anything, if you read anything, let us know by all means. No, I mean, I'm not infallible, but right. I mean, that's what I heard. I could be wrong. So they once again kept with Hervis. And Wayne. Okay. In fact, Purpose and Wayne have written every film since The World Is Not Enough and will be writing the next film, which so far does not have an and may have Jennifer Aniston, of all people, as a freaking Bond girl. If that's the case, this will probably be the only Bond movie that I will refuse to see. <laughs> really, the only thing I've ever seen Jennifer Aniston in that I liked it was Office in Space. Office Space. And I saw the recent movie that she made with Steve Zahn. I saw that one. Steve Zahn was good. Jennifer Aniston, I just don't understand the appeal of her to save my life. They decided to focus on the problems in Korea as right. their fulcrum. And the film starts with Bond and two other people surfing onto the shore of North Korea. He meets with a person who kind of looks like him, takes mm-hmm. his identity. Yeah. It turns out this guy is looking to buy arms from a certain Colonel Moon, who is played by... Because uh, it's an exchange of diamonds. Yeah. Who in this part of the thing is played by Will Young Lee. And he is accepting conflict diamonds, which right. are forbidden to be dealt in. Dealt in, traded, by the sold, whatever. Yeah. Right. From Sierra Leone. Sierra Leone. He's accepting these conflict diamonds for arms. Now, Bond has taken the man's <laughs> place, but somebody tips off Colonel Moon's right-hand man. 
Zhao, played by Rick Yoon, that this is James Bond, this is not the person you were supposed right. to meet. <laughs> now, Bond has already tricked out this diamond suitcase with a explosive. With an explosive, the same trick he used right. in the previous movies. So just as he's about to yeah. be, be shot down by Colonel Moon's men, he activates the bomb, Bomb goes off right in Zhao's face. And half the diamonds get stuck, stuck into right his face. In his, there's a big chase on hovercrafts, the whole thing. Through a minefield. Right. Moon explains that DMZ between North and South Korea is the most heavily... There's a million mines in that area. A million mines in And there. there's no way anybody can get But the hovercrafts, because they go on a cushion of air, mm-hmm. just float over it. Right. So... There's a big chase on the hovercrafts. A lot of fun. A lot of punchy, punchy, run, run. Ah. It ends with... Well, I'm not saying punchy, punchy, run, run. I thought, it, I thought it was exciting. It ends with... For some reason, there's this Fakakta temple at the end of a cliff. Oh, the end of a cliff, yeah. Who would put a temple on the end of a cliff? But Bond and... Who are fighting on this hovercraft. It goes through the temple, off the cliff. cliff. Bond holds on to the ceremonial bell and is saved, but... He turns around, and there's Colonel Moon's father, the General right. Moon. Now, we should mention that Colonel Moon was a rogue. None of his actions have been sanctioned by his government. However, that doesn't stop his father, because, of course, he's pissed off that the guy pushed his son all across there, and they take Bond into custody. They take and he's held for, what, like 14 months, I think they 18 say? months. And he's brutally tortured. Brutally you know? tortured, which we go through with him. We're also tortured. <laughs> We're tortured by the laziest... I will contend that this is not a song that she wrote on the uh, way to the recording studio. I will contend this is an already existing track she had laid down that she rewrote the lyrics for. Because that's my theory, folks. As I have told Tom many times, this song is so lazy, it sounds like on the day she was to record it, Madonna wrote it in the back of the limousine while she was on there. Because I don't remember any of the... the only thing I, I guess I'm dying. Another day. Uh, that's so it. That's all I remember. The cl- What's worse is that I should have had a bad feeling in the pit of my stomach because the Daniel Kleiman sequence and his theme is fire and ice in this. Yeah, film. he's using what they call ramping, where the action will suddenly speed up in time so everybody gets all herky jerky for a second. Uh huh. It's the worst credit sequence in any James Bond movie. It's even worse than the girls on the skis with the day glow scarves. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Even worse than the, the obviously drugged girl climbing out of the martini glass? You know, the only good thing about this credit sequence, though, is that it, it's the only credit sequence that is actually involved in telling the story. Right. So that we get a sense of what Bob went through in those 18 months. Okay, they bring in scorpions. Yeah. And they deliberately sting him with the scorpions, and then mm-hmm. just when he's at the point of death, then they give him the right. anti-venom. Damn, that's yeah. And there's, yeah, there's only one nice moment, I think, in the whole credit sequence, and that's when you see them throwing Bond into his cell again, uh-huh. and Kleiman animates an ice woman kind of like lifting him up, uh-huh. and a fire woman kind of like comforting him. Yeah. I mean, that's a really striking image, but we then get out of this horrific hell oh. of a title sequence. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> 18 months later, Bond's got a full beard. It looks like Robinson Crusoe. And they're going to trade him. They trade him for Zhao, who now, as we see, has these diamonds embedded in his flesh. Uh huh. Quite frankly, I'm surprised it took them that long to make a deal for Bond, considering right. his importance in the Secret Service. Right. It seemed to me they would say, we either got to get him out right well, away, you know, or we got to kill him right away. There's an exchange with M where he said, I'd rather die than give him information. Where was your cyanide pill? <laughs> yeah, where was your cyanide pill? <laughs> One of the very few great moments in this film mm. where General Moon is said, we're at the end of our journey. Mm. His soldiers lift up their rifle, and he's thinking, 
this is it, I'm done. Yeah. Like, if you're expecting any begging, don't. Yeah. And just not. turn I, around, I'm please. James Bond, I don't beg. Right, he goes, turn around, please, and you turn around, and you can see in Brosnan's eyes, he's a little afraid. Yeah, yeah, he says, yeah, well, this is and it. he goes, keep walking. He's exchanged, and we get to meet one of the worst characters in this film, which is filled with terrible characters, Falco. Played by the terrific Michael Madsen. And I gotta agree with you 100%. It is criminal how underused he is in this movie. Okay, this is my question though. Why did... Well, I can tell you why, I think, but... Why didn't they keep using the Jack Wade character? I can understand why Valentin was the Jack Wade stand-in. He fit in pretty well, and he actually is very integral to the plot. Well, he's integral to the plot. I was about to say that. But why wasn't Wade used instead of Falco? I'll tell you why. Because, of course, MGM wanted this to be more of a modern action thriller, which means we had to have an antagonistic government agent somewhere. Yeah. And that's why Michael Madsen, who looks like he's going to turn around to M and ask him at any point, so you're going to bark all day, little dog, or you're going to bite? When or I cut heard, Robinson's ear off, one or the other. When I first heard that Michael Mass was going to be in yeah. a James Bond movie, I said, yes! You know, I can't think of anything cooler than that. But when I actually saw the movie, I'm sitting there saying, well, what the... No, I don't, I don't blame you. He's brought to some hospital facility. He doesn't know where. He's held prisoner by his yeah. own government because they don't and trust him. They, they don't trust him. First off, that Zhao had blown up a meeting of ministers, mm-hmm. and that's why they had captured him. And also that they had received information from his location, from the prison. Information had been leaked from that prison, and he was the only prisoner. I think that M is pretty... I'm sorry, folks. I'm going to call a spade a spade. Considering everything they've been through, she's a pretty cold bitch in this because she tells them flat out, well, it's not up to me. If it was up to me, you'd still be there. She said, I wasn't the one who gave the order to turn you well, loose. Well, and Bond looks at her like... Again, like, as much the- as her lines say one thing, I think that... Her actions in this scene show that there's still that respect. She's on the other side of the glass initially. Yeah, yeah. He says, why don't you tell me to be my face? And she has the respect for him mm-hmm. to go into the... and Yeah, right, him yeah. Face to face. Yeah, because there's a yeah. couple technicians in there. She sends them out yeah. of there before she opens it up and goes right. in. Like, I don't think she's supposed to do that. She's breaking the protocol there. Because nobody's supposed to have contact with him. As far as they're concerned, he's contaminated. And she says that you're going to be sent to some place. We don't know where. It, we, we learn where it is later. The Island of Misfits the, the Island That's of what I call it. Actually, we learn the area that they send people like this who are compromised about the hour and ten minute mark. Yeah. But that his days are over. That's He's it. not having any. And we learn finally that somehow James Bond has become a superhero because he stops his own heart. He's been hanging out with Derek Flint, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> they were having drinks one night. Right. And Flint said, I got a trick to show you. There you go. <laughs> Because he knows he wants to get out, so he wills his own heart to stop. Everybody gets freaked out. The technicians come in to try to crash Carden back to life, and he takes the paddles and uses them on the two technicians, thanks the hot female technician for giving him the breath of life, and walks out. Turns out he's on a ship outside of Hong Kong. Yeah. He swims to Hong Kong, and this is another one of the very few good things in this film. Walks into the Hong Kong Yacht Club, still in his pajama top, looking like Robinson Crusoe, with utter confidence... And goes, hi, I'd like a room, please. The clerk is looking at him. Do you have a credit card? Yeah, do you you know. What I really love is that the clerk called for the concierge. And he comes over and doesn't blink an eye. It isn't called for the concierge. The concierge overhears this. Turns around and goes, Mr. Bond! Mr. Bond! He's used to seeing James Bond walking looking like this all the time. Yeah. And he says, well, of course, we have the presidential suite. Yeah. He just turns to him and says, Open the presidential suite. Yeah, he says, oh, do you want me to contact your tailor? And yeah, yeah. And, and I'd like some 61 Bollinger. This is one of my problems. I know that she, this is something that you like. This mm. whole Husker Du game that they play, where they're doing very conscious references to the first 20 films, or to other lore and, like, 
1961. It's the first... That's the year that the first Bond movie came came out. out. There is a scene that follows involving somebody trying to film Bond in a compromising position that is obviously a reference to From Russia with Love. 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 The film kind of stops every time one of these Who's Could Do moments comes up. And I found it really jarring. I find it jarring. We'll discuss that mm-hmm. as you and I both have, and I agree. Now, most of the bits, yes, I do appreciate it being a long-time Bond fan. But when they get to the one where the guy's got to kill a certain member of the cast, he yeah. says, no, I don't want to waste the bullet. I want to put her yeah. in a laser dog. I said, oh, come on, give me a freaking so, break. turns out that this concierge is a member of the Chinese The Chinese Secret, Secret Service. Service, yeah. Instead of beating the guy half to death, which is what usually would have happened, he said, look... I'm looking for this guy, and this guy embarrassed your government, right? Mm-hmm. If you give me some help, I'll take care of him yeah, for you. you. Yeah. And he goes, I'll have to talk to somebody. And the next time you see him, he's, oh, here's something courtesy of the Chinese government for you. It turns out that Zhao is in Cuba. It's got passports. Yep. It's got money. He's but got it's informational where Zhao is right. at, where to find everything, everything he needs. The right. well-dressed spot. So we go to Cuba. Bond meets up with... Now, this is a guy, really reminds me of Karam Ali Bey. The character of Raul. Because it turns out that he's a Russian sleeper agent that was never activated. Yeah, and he's, and been, he's been living a good life. He was a tobacco plantation. A tobacco plantation. He's got this great room. His room is like a collector of everything. Yeah. Which is where we get him picking up the book... The, Pick up the book Birds of the West Indies. Right. Which, of course, was an actual book written by James Bond, which right. is where Ian Fleming got, got the, the name because for his he character. Because it was the most boring name he could find. And the book was on his desk, and he right. says, okay, well, I'll just take that, James Bond. Bond borrows a gun and a car, it turns out to be the car from Dr. No, Yeah, to investigate this island clinic that supposedly Zhao is on. That's just off the coast of Cuba. He's pretending yeah. to watch birds while he's got the binoculars. Right. He's really but he, out the he, this resort that he's staying at is filled with all these... It's like this one like really nasty Australian guy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, obviously, these are not nice people. He meets someone who also is not very nice. <laughs> Freaking Holly Berry <laughs> gets to do her version of coming out of the ocean Honey Rider scene. Yeah, the Honey Rider scene. Well, she's wearing the bikini yeah, and she's well, got okay. the knife. Okay. I think hers is orange, though, instead yes, of white. Yeah. It's orange, but she still has the knife. Now, you know how we were talking earlier about a certain actress who might be cast as a Bond girl at 23, and you said she's too old? Right. I think Holly Berry was too old for this at this point. Every time they close up on her face, she's got this weird angularity because... But she's like, always had that. Oh, uh, but she's you a terrible character. The thing that I don't like about Halle Berry's character in yes. this one. Now, I know you're going to dispute me on this one. Right. But there were rumors, even while the movie was in production, no, that this was, was going to be a spinoff. She was shouting that from the rooftop. That's right. That yeah. Her character was going to be spun off into you're her You're going to love movie. Jinx. And she did the usual Bond script. Oh, yeah, it's not like any other Bond girl. She's really strong. And she's got her Now, it should be mentioned... As we all know, and I love her, don't get me wrong, but Halle Berry is opportunist. Yes. When she was making the first X-Men movie, she was going on interview shows, and I saw her when she was decrying, oh, here I am, an Academy Award-winning actress, and I'm reduced to playing a comic book character. Until X-Men was number one at the box office. Now, all of a sudden, she was a big comic book fan, and she always loved the character. Halle Berry is quite simply an opportunist, and always looks for... Her participation in this movie, to me, is clearly a detriment to the character of James Bond, because every time Bond has an action scene, she's got to have it. You know it was written to her... Uh, her contract. Yeah, in her, in her contract that she had to have as, as much action as Bond. She had to be the only woman who slept with him. I cannot think of any other... Not even Diana Rigg right. got as much screen time in a Bond movie as Halle yeah. Berry's character. 
who quite frankly isn't all that interesting. Dull. She's a female spy. She's a black version of Wai Lin. I found Wai Lin though more interesting yeah, yeah. than she is. But I'm just saying she's just a black version of that character. But it's like she wants the camera to be on her at all times. Yeah. There are, and you'll know which scene we're talking about. There's one scene where I wanted to get up and slap her. <laughs> because there is no way she would be able to do it. You want to talk about Denise Richards? I didn't care for any of the girl that plays uh, Frost. What's her name? Miranda See, Frost. See, I like Miranda I Frost. We'll get to that. Miranda Frost, as a matter of fact, should have been. Well, yeah, yeah. So they go and knock the boots because, of course, it's been 18 months and Bond hasn't seen any pussy. Yeah. Ooh. So he'll take any pussy. I would. So they have a night of passion, and then he goes to infiltrate the clinic by first breaking in on that obnoxious Australian, uh-huh. knocking him. And there's this beautiful Latin girl. I love her because she's got the one line, but it's like so casual because he goes in, beats the crap out of him, puts him into the wheelchair, and goes, yo, good morning. And she just looks and goes, good morning. Yeah, good morning. <laughs> like nothing is going on. Like, no, yeah. Yeah. I thought that was hilarious. That must be one hell of a weird clinic. If yeah. that doesn't... He goes into the clinic using this guy's papers and discovers that it is a clinic for... And here's where the film starts its slow ramp off into hell. <laughs> okay. That it is for DNA replacement therapy where this doctor is using DNA stolen from runaways and vagrants and the poor, people who won't be missed, putting them into... To really rich, nasty people, and making them look like entirely different people. Apparently, using this gene therapy, they can actually transform people into somebody else. I know that gene therapy is a real thing, but not the way they use it but, here. Yeah, but this is like taken to extremes right. in this one. This is a phrase you will hear me say a lot, but not in the way they use it here. I mean, this guy's real over the top, because you go like, oh, there's going to be a lot of He's explaining it to Jinx. As it turns out, Zhao is there. Now, he's still got the diamonds in yeah. his face, but he's being turned into somebody else. His skin is now bleached clean because he's midway through the transformation. Now, see, my question is, well, if you're going to do this, wouldn't it have been a good idea to take the diamonds out of his face yeah. first? But then we wouldn't have a Bond henchman. True that. And he's probably the only Bond henchman worth the damn in this film. I'm just saying that you're pretty noticeable when you have half a billion dollars worth of diamonds stuck in your mug piece. (laughs) So he's trying to get Zhao, but Zhao doesn't want to be gotten. No, of course not. Meanwhile, Holly Berry kills the doctor. Right, because she's there, too, running her own separate investigation. Because she works for the CIA right. or NSA or somebody. I think it's the NSA. It's never clear. Because I know that Falco, Falco is works for the CIA. Falco is her superior. During the course of it, she sets off a bomb with her cell phone that starts a fire. Zhao manages to escape, and there's a stupid, ridiculous action sequence with Jinx shooting after the helicopter that Zhao is hijacking. Yeah. Then she's caught by the guards, and oh, I hated this scene. She strips down to her bikini. Right. And then proceeds to turn into a CGI pixel. Yeah, it's so obvious that it's CGI. Because, of course, she wanted to make it seem like she does all her own stunts. If you go back to the heyday of the Bond movies, and we were talking about this before, they would have actually went, okay, who holds the record for the highest die in the world? And they would have got that guy or that girl to do the actual stunts. And listen, we want you to jump off of this thing. No problem. Whoop! But luckily... Bond does come away with something, which is the payment that Zhao was making, which was in diamonds. Diamonds! Again. And Raul, who, because he's such like a renaissance man, is able to recognize that it has the same chemical composition as the conflict diamonds. However, it's marked with the symbol of Gustav Graves. Graves. And Bond is, who's that? He's like, you must really have been in a cave then. Which he was, yeah, 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 well, yeah. Well, 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 he was in a dungeon. That Gustav Graves is the son of some coal miners in Iceland who came across this diamond stash. He discovered this seam of diamonds, and he's used it to build himself into, for all 
Sense of purposes, Richard Branson. Richard Branson. It should be noted that when we first see him, he's parachuting to a press conference. In a obvious reference to the Spy Who Loved Me. Spy Who Loved Me, because he has a Union Jack parachute. He is playing. And he's very mysterious about his background. When they ask him, oh, what about your family? He doesn't want to talk about that. And he says, well, I consider myself to have been reborn when I found the diamond. There's a good reason why he's mysterious about his background, as we'll find out later on. Played by the son of Maggie Smith, Toby Stephan. And he plays it as if he is. Imitating Hugh Grant, imitating a Bond villain. All he needs is a twirly mustache. Oh, he is terrible. He's mystery. not a very good Bond villain. Uh, he, we also meet his publicity assistant, Miranda, Miranda Frost, Frost, who is played by the very lovely Rosamund Pike. Mm-hmm. And I kind of liked her character. He is being knighted. And she makes a more effective yeah. henchman than the guys who were really supposed to be the henchmen yeah. in this movie. Bond is sure that there's something going on, but luckily... He belongs to the same gentleman's club that Bond does. Blades. The Blades Club, which of course is a reference to Moonraker, the novel. And that's the club that the previous amp before the Judy Dench amp belongs to. We learned that Miranda Frost was a gold medalist in the Sydney, Australia Olympics for fencing, yes. Although the reason she became a gold medalist is somewhat controversial. They found out that the original gold medalist had been doing steroids. And isn't she training? She is training Graves because Graves wants to medal in the next Olympics. Right. And this leads to, first off, a cameo by Madonna. Where is he? James Bond. Your lesson? I see you handle your weapon well. I have been known to keep my tip up. In the most inappropriate fencing garb ever. Also a really over-the-top and ridiculous... And it really shows how terrible Toby Steffens is. Because, of course, Madonna introduces Bond to Gustav. Gustav and him decide to have a, a fencing, fencing match, match that goes kind of wrong because Which Bond, escalates into a fight with yes, broadsword. Because Bond <laughs> draws a little bit of blood and he goes into a rage and says, Let's do it first, blood from the torso. But, given what we find out about Grace later yeah. on... And a scene that goes back earlier that yes. had to deal with anger management. I understand yes. why he okay. went to that shit. I will give you that. But they end up having this running sword fight. I love sword fights. All through the club and people yeah. are screaming. And they're yeah. facing priceless yeah. artifacts. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, Graves gashes the blue boy. Yeah. And eventually it ends when Miranda Frost says, Alright, I'm not having any more of your shit. Oh, sure. Now you're stepping after they've torn up yeah. the damn club. This is one of the reasons why I like This was her first acting role. In fact, her first day of shooting, she had to take a break so she could go up to Oxford to graduation. Really? That's cool. And I think for a first-timer, she's really good. And one of the things I like about her is that she seems to have these different faces that are logical. She has that publicist face where she almost yeah. looks like Audrey Hepburn. No, Audrey Hepburn, right. And then she's got, what I like is when she here in this scene, her hair is all loose and she's got that wild, insane competitor's face Yeah, on, yeah. Where when she says, that's enough, that's it's it. like, you know, Bond going, okay. They stop. Brave settles with Bond in the club and he says, oh, I'm having a demonstration of my latest philanthropic effort up in Iceland. I hope you'll come and I join me. I want you to come and join me. Miranda will make the arrangements for you yeah. if you'd like to. And he says, yes, I'd like that very much. At that point, a dreadlocked worker at the club comes and gives Bond Bond a key. Because now, of course, he's back on the radar as far as MI6 is concerned. And he he opens it up, and it's this antique brass key. Which fits in a door 
at the base of the London Bridge. London Bridge. Which leads to an abandoned railway station. I forget what he calls it, but it's apparently where compromised spies go to get sent away. I call it the island of misfit yeah. spies. He meets M there, and as we find out, Bond even says to himself, I've always heard about this place, but I never thought I'd end up yeah. here. This is where apparently MI6 sends their spies who for one reason or another they can't kill, yeah. but they still got talents that can be used, mm-hmm. but they're on the outside. And I thought this would be an interesting direction to take the Bond movies in, in that he's not exactly on the inside anymore. But they don't take that. No, they don't. Bond is back on the case. And And it should be mentioned that in that brief time that we have under there, that's the scene where R introduces the invisible car that you hate so much. Oh, God. And we see some of the props from past James Bond movies. Let me talk a bit about John Cleese. He's now cute. Right, now he's Although he's only referred to as Quartermaster. In the previous film, he was just a joke. He was playing John Cleese. Right. In this one, he has an actual character. And it's funny, because there's a lot of continuity between him and the Desmond Llewellyn version of Q. Maybe you've been down here too long. The ultimate in British engineering. You must be joking. As I learned from my predecessor, Bond, I never joke about my work. There's still that same exasperation, but the wit is a lot nastier. But also, at the same time... I got the impression that if for no other reason that Bond had a relationship with Q and he respected Q, he's kind of sorry to see Bond end up here. Right. I got that impression from some of the things that he did and said. Because he respected the form of Q so much, and he's, I like he, the, he's taking the job of looking after yeah. Bond the same way Q There's did. something also about the fact that he's working out of this, as opposed to Q's old workshop, which yeah. is fairly open air. There was something to be said about this character, that he's working in this cluttered warehouse almost. Now that Cleese was allowed to create his own character, I like the character he came up with. Yeah, I get the impression that this is where he likes working at. Because yeah. he's got the jetpack from Thunder. And you'll notice also, he he's got the alley himself. Yeah, he doesn't have a whole Whereas, pool you know, where, where Llewellyn always had all these assistants buzzing around. Right. It's, it's just him by himself. Yeah. It's just this cluttered... He likes puttering around. Archive. You get the impression that he's much more reliable on himself and it's interesting his innovations and what he wants to do it's his own character that he's created and I think it's a shame that he never got another chance after this because of course now we go into the Daniel Cray and we haven't had a cue yet and yes he does introduce the latest in the long line of Aston Martins Aston Martin call it the vanquish we call it the vanish oh very good Adaptive camouflage, tiny cameras on all sides project the image they see onto a light-emitting polymer skin on the opposite side. You see, to the casual eye, it's as good as invisible. Plus all the usual refinements, ejector seat, torpedoes, target-seeking shotguns to shoot down mobile objects. Why don't you acquaint yourself with the manual? You'll be able to shoot through that in a couple of hours. Just took a few seconds, Q. Wish I could make you vanish. And okay, I understand that the technology used is a technology that is being experimented with uh, for tanks it's by a the James U.S. Army. Bond movie, Tom. When are you gonna get it? Okay, it's an invisible car. It's a stupid, stupid, stupid thing. So we can have cars that turn into submarines, but we can't have invisible cars. I can't accept the invisible car. Because oh, okay, oh, oh, oh. in the moving right along. Thomas. Wait a minute. No, let, let me say moving in the in the Mr. DJ moving right along in the commentary moving right along. You're going to actually sit there and tell me to you, you, you can't accept you can't accept 
I'm a gonna car that turns into a submarine, but you can't okay. accept an invisible car. In the commentary, which is by, that I listen to, which is by <laughs> Michael G. Wilson. That's what I like about you, man. You stick to your guts. And Lee <laughs> Tamahori. They explained that they based it on a technology that's being experimented with by the U.S. Army. Okay. But, and here's why I look at this and hate this so much. All right. Tamahori mentions that they're only able to do it from far distances. Yeah. Up close is not convincing. Which yeah. we come back again to the fact that not to the extent in this film. Mm-hmm. I could accept if he had the camouflage for like maybe like stealth mode to get closer to a place. But we see him later on actually rolling right up to people. Yeah. With this invisible car. Without them noticing. That I will not accept. Okay. Okay? Fair, fair enough. Now that he has his invisible car and special watch... As Cleese explains, that's the 19th, I believe. The 20th. 20th. Can you do me a favor and this time break the record and return it? And return it. He goes off to Iceland where Gustav Graves has built an An ice ice palace. palace. Represented by a very bad CGI shot. The interior is in the Pinewood Studios. Right. I watch the Travel Channel a lot. And this was actually based on an actual hotel in Iceland that is made out of Tamahori ice. Tamahori mentioned yeah. that, that this is so, where right. the inspiration came from. Yeah, because I yeah. thought it was some fake bullshit myself, but then, yeah, know, and it turned out that I was watching Travel Channel, and it was, I said, oh shit. The interiors of this ice palace, turns out it is the largest Bond set ever made. Mm. It was built on top of the tank where they built the old Spy Who Me set. Oh, okay. So Bond comes in, and he's met by Miranda Frost, and Mr. Kill. Oh, could a henchman have My a name more is obvious Mr. To kill. kill? What a You're name. a foul one. I'm not, I'm not Mr. a name to kill. die for. Once again, <laughs> Neil Purvis and uh, Robert Wade have never met a bad joke they haven't. You're scummy and you're dumb. You waste the bullet on the spot. Oh, we also <laughs> learned that Miranda Frost is a double agent. Ah, yeah. And she's been working for MI6. This is before this. He doesn't know this yet. But he finds out that the philanthropic thing is called the Icarus. The Icarus. Which is the latest in a long line of Bondian floating satellite weapon beam things. Well, it's a homage to Diamonds yeah. Are Forever. It's the same yeah. thing as Diamonds Are Forever. It's and a soul, it, his idea yeah. is that it's an artificial sun that is going to be used to help terraform inhospitable places so it can... Crop. The first time I saw this movie, yeah. you know what I thought that they were going to do, which to me would have made it a lot more interesting? That it would have been the actual satellite from Diamonds Are yeah. Forever that Gustav's grave had found, right. that they just left up there, and he found it, and he said, okay, this is what I've done. I've taken this device for yeah. evil, and I've turned it for good. But right. of course, they don't go that route. They don't go that route. Bond thinks there's, there's still something wrong, and he knows that Graves is living in a geodesic dome. Behind the, the ice palace. Yeah, because he's got sense enough not to stay in yeah. a palace made out of ice. ice. <laughs> so he drives his stupid invisible car. Because, see, you want to talk about the invisible car? You want to know something I found even more unbelievable okay. than that in this what? movie? People actually make love on a bed made out of ice. Well, they don't make love in that scene. It does. A Miranda Frost. They what? don't sleep. They are naked together, but they don't sleep together. So then why were they naked together, Tom? To keep up appearances in case they were being a So, you accepted a visible car, but you... Uh, I don't accept an invisible car! <laughs> but, you're going to quibble about that, but you're going to say that James Bond is naked and don't get busy. Uh, that's what I'm saying. <sighs> the things you can wrap your brain around when you get ready. Go ahead. But he's going to look around and he's actually caught by some of Graves' men. Uh-huh. But Miranda Frost saves him by pretending to be his lover. Yeah. Which is why we get that scene with the nakedness. Okay. (laughs) Okay? She keeps saying to him, this is not 
what you think it is. Which I don't believe for a minute. Okay. Well, I mean, she's a hot girl. I, I think. I would have hit that. I, listen, of course he did. He's James Bond. So, while he may not have been able to break into the Geodesic Zone to find out what's going on, Jinx, Jinx has been able did. to. Because, of course, Jinx is better than Bond. Oh, yeah. Fuck you, Holly Berry. This is a Jinx movie. And she discovers that there's this weird-ass-looking dreamcatcher-like thing that the Gustav Graves kind of sits under. It turns out that this DNA replacement causes you to suffer from extreme insomnia, and that Gustav Graves da, 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 is Colonel Moon. <laughs> Big reveal. And they capture James. But he doesn't sleep anymore, but he yeah. needs this device to drink, which is why he's been able to accomplish yeah. so much in such a short Some amount time. of time. They capture James. They give her over to Mr. Kill. You're a foul one. Mr. Kill. Mr. Kill. And here comes one of the stupidest tortures because you have Zhao telling Mr. Kill, shoot the bitch. (laughs) And does Mr. Kill go, yes, I'm boss. No, Mr. Kill says, no, I want to use the laser. I want to put her in the laser thingamabob. Which, of course, is a homage to Goldfinger. Goldfinger. And so, he's using the laser. Meanwhile, Bond, who has gone to bed but has not slept with Miranda Frost, in your opinion, yes, decides to go and do his little investigating, does break in, and manages to come across this stupid, stupid scene instead of coming across the dead body of Jinx. I'm kind of surprised they didn't have her escape herself. We've been having Jinx do everything else. So there's a big fight scene between Kill and... I hate that name... Bond, mm-hmm. which ends with a laser going through Kill's head and through his mouth. Yeah. Which cool. is kind of cool. Cool, yeah, it is. They escape, but they don't escape because Bond is being chased by Zhao. Zhao. Who's got his, who's own, got his super, own supercar. He's got his own supercar. Only yeah. it's not fucking invisible. No, but, but this thing has got... And these cars are so loaded down with weapons, you have to wonder, where the hell is the engine? At, at this point now, there's like so much CGI in this film. I'm, and what's more... Graves is going along with, because he's got this Russian flunky, whose name is apparently Vlad, but we never learn it. Okay. And he's been, like, working on making the controls of the Icarus more and more ergonomic. Yeah. So he's trying on this one that's like a glove, and he activates the Icarus and having it chase Bond. Now, I want you to notice that we've kind of forgotten the subplot that Graves had invited all these press people and everything to yeah. the Ice Palace to watch the Icarus. Right. Because all of a sudden, they're all gone now because yeah. he's going to blow up the Ice Palace. Well, the important thing was, of course, the three Koreans in ill-fitting suits, who turn out to be generals of North Korea, right. who are going to stage a coup... And Ray says, this is what we have. He's going to use the Icarus to blow up the, the BFB and have a safe passage right. that so they can march North right Korea through. can then invade South Korea. And meanwhile, Jinx has been found out, still hanging around. So they lock her into a room and decide, rather than shoot the bitch, uh, get, uh, they decide to use the Icarus to melt the ice palace and drown her. <laughs> These are the stupidest fucking villains we have had. You know what this reminds you? It's like, they said, it would be a homage to the great cliffhangers. Of the, no, it's not. It's stupid. Why don't you just shoot her already and get it over with? You're going to lock her in the room and say, well, and also, by the way, well, love, we'll drown her, please. I also, by the way, love the fact that, and this is my one critique of Rosamund Pike's performance, mm-hmm. is that instantly, the moment she meets Jane, she's like, I don't like you. Mr. Bond and Miss Swift, Space and Technology Magazine. Really? I take it Mr. Bond's been explaining his Big Bang Theory. Oh, yeah, I think I got the thrust of it. I see. 
And she's really bitchy around her yeah. when they meet each other. Because, well, of course, well, we you find out. Well, you know, because women don't like yeah. each other. And, of course, we find out that Miranda Frost is actually working for Gustav Graves. She's the person that tipped off Zhao. She's the person that faked the transmission from the prison. So she, now she's a triple agent. Because, of course, her and Graves slash Colonel Moon used to go to Oxford, Oxford together. together. Oh, yeah, that's a perfect reason to betray your country, jackass. Bond and Zhao have that chase that go back into the now very melty (laughs) ice palace. He manages to separate Zhao from his car, and Zhao gets killed by a falling chandelier. Ice chandelier. He saves Holly Berry instead of letting the bitch drown. He rescues Jinx. Uses a hot tub. Mm-hmm. Carved into the ice to revive to her. To revive her. Because, of course, right. the shock of the cold water has put her into hypothermia. Yes. Yeah. Meanwhile, Gustav and Zhao and Miranda have got on board this Russian aircraft, which is the largest carrier plane in and existence. Was- Why? We don't know just yet. Well, that's because it'll be big enough for right. the fight scenes that we got. Also, yeah, with. and also for him and to carry along his freaking... Sword fighting dojo. He has a poignant reunion with yeah. his daddums. I, okay, as much as we bag on this, Kenneth Sang was the guy who played the father. I like the fact that if you look back on all the scenes with him, he is never villainous. You get the impression there's that scene where he's talking to Bond just before he releases him, mm-hmm. where you get the impression like I really wish it didn't have to come to this. He's a career soldier. No, he reminds me of. He reminds me of the guy that played the head of the Russian Gogol. Gogol didn't decide Bond, but this is the way it is, and we got to live with. Also, this. by the way. Graves has now climbed into this freaking supervillain suit. This exoskeleton th- that would look more at home in a Marvel comic book. Which apparently allows him to fire electrical oh, bolts from his hand. <laughs> and that's how he kills his father, by electrocuting him. Instead of, plus, yeah. just shooting him. Now, Bond and Jinx go to the South Korean military never... on the edge of the DMV and hook up with Robinson, hook up with Falco, and we learn finally that Jinx is working for Falco. I've never met a movie where bad guys hate using bullets so much. Right. <laughs> Bond and Jinx tell them, oh, they're on this ship, and he's starting to use the Icarus to blow up the mines. Uh-huh. It's like, we have to get on that plane, we have to get on that plane. They get on board an aircraft, they get into military gear. Now, supposedly these are real things, but they look like something, particularly at this point, because they're being played by CGI objects. Oh, yeah, the switchblade. Oh, uh, yeah, they look ridiculous. Yeah. No, yeah. they are actual... I, yeah, yeah, that I recognize. I understand what you're saying. That they do look CGI. They, yeah, they don't look like they're real. Pretty much from here on in, everything in this film is CGI, CGI well, and looks really bad. Well, of course, the plane. The last 15 minutes is the freaking plane falling yeah. apart, even as it's flying. And Bond and Jinx infiltrate the big plane. Jinx goes out of the control room to try and take over the plane, while Bond goes to confront Gustav Graves, the Robocop. <laughs> Good way to put it. So we got Graves fighting Bond, and he's got his Robocop suit on, and he's rowing Bond all over. Jinx is trying to play the play where he, she is discovered by Miranda Frost, who is wearing one really fucking hot outfit. Oh, yeah. Because she's got that black rock style yeah, top, yeah. and the white G-pants, mm. and she's got that saber, and she's got that look in her eyes. I'm looking to cut some I'm bitch. I'm going to cut your liver out. And eat it. Holly Berry gets into a fight with Miranda Frost, which should not have happened. And I would be willing to bet you, because you know, they keep cutting back and yeah. forth between Bond and Graves and mm-hmm. Frost and Jinx. I would be willing to bet you that if you time them, those fight scenes would come out right. to be exactly the same amount of time. I have never seen a supporting character in a Bond movie have their that own right. fight scene that lasts that long. Although this is going on, the plane flies through the heat beam. The supposedly destructive laser beam that can wipe out anything in this path. And rather than put me out of my misery 
and turn everyone in that plane to a cinder. They continue fighting. They keep flying and they keep Although, fighting. of course, the plane now is beginning to shed skin yeah. because it's destructing because it got exposed to the horrible heat beam. Oh, but it's still flying. Now, I'm sorry. You and I are in agreement about this, right? Mm-hmm. That Miranda Frost should have shish kebab. Oh, hell yeah. Jinx. Because after all this buildup, what a great swordswoman she is. And after the demonstration we see in the club, and after the way we see how she's a different person when she's got a sword in her hand, how commanding a presence she is. Right. She goes out like a bitch. Ha! I can read your every move. Read this, bitch. Played Miranda looks hot. Well, she's got to look hot too. She does I, not look hotter than Miranda. I would, I would have definitely. loved to have been under contract negotiations because I bet you Halle Berry made her people go over there with a fine tooth comb and said, Oh, this has got to be changed and this has got to be changed. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the bitch move that David Carradine pulled back when him and Chuck Norris did a low wolf right. Where he wasn't alive. Where it was in his contract that he could not lose a fight to Chuck Norris. Right. It's a movie, man. You're there to serve the needs of. Of the story, not your own ego. Die another day suffers from the ego of Halle Berry. You notice, by the way, also that Halle Berry definitively defeats her foe, but Bond doesn't. Yeah. Bond gets beat like a bitch. Oh, yeah. He takes her ass whooping. Gustav goes, Oh, well, look at this. It's two parachutes, one for both of us. <laughs> Whoops! <laughs> Not anymore! <laughs> and it's only his own stupidity that kills Gustav Grey. Because he puts on his parachute and he's got to stand there and mock Bond. Oh, some yeah, more. yeah. And yeah. Bond reaches up and grabs the ripcord and pulls it open. His parachute comes open, gets sucked into the jet engine with Gustav Graves in his magneto suit with him. That's the end of Gustav Graves. Whereas, of course, Holly Berry gets to definitively kill Miranda yeah, Fox, yeah. Which would never happen in a million years, folks. They've defeated the villains. They shut down the Icarus thingamabob. Yeah. They have to escape the dying plane. They find a helicopter. In a the helicopter hole. in the plane! They get on the helicopter. <laughs> That's one hell of a big yeah. plane. They start this veyer belt in a scene that was obviously, I think, supposed to make us think of the living daylight. Two cars fall off. Right, yeah. A Lamborghini and a Ferrari fall out. And then their helicopter falls out, but they're having problems getting it trolled. Mm-hmm. But they end up eventually getting hold of it and... We don't know what happens just yet. Right. Then we cut to, and I hated this scene, and you know why I hate this next scene. Well, tell me. We cut to MI6 headquarters, Mm -hmm. where Moneypenny is closing out the file of Miranda Frost. Oh, yeah. When Bond shows up, and Bond doesn't say a word, he just decides he's going to take some Samantha Bond loving. He's going to knock boots. Right, and he's... Doing it with her on the desk. And that's when Q walks through the thing and goes, Is that my special VR glasses? Because earlier we had right. seen Vaughn in order to get his certification as right. 007. He ran through a training simulation. That for all intents and purposes is the holodeck from Star right. Trek. Once again, I know that there is VR training, but not to this, this level, level of sophistication. Money Penny takes off the glasses and looks 
totally own. Yeah. Which I hated because this version of Money Penny is kind of creepy. Yeah, actually. It's established very early on in the Brosnan series that the Samantha Bond Money Penny has her own life, isn't pining away for Bond. Yeah, she's not sitting at home waiting for the call. And it turned her into this wet at the knees schoolgirl. Because wasn't even it one movie where yeah. she was called and she had an evening gown and I yeah. was saying, well, where were you do that for just for me? No, I, I said, was, no, I was not. I was on a date. You could see she was plainly pissed to be called yeah. away from her date to come right. take care of Bond's business. We cut away from that embarrassment, that insult to Samantha Bond. And we cut to a Japanese-style temple, obviously meant to be a reference to You Only Live Twice. You Only Live Twice. And there is some suggestive dialogue. Oh, don't take it out yet. Don't take it. <laughs> Which Holly Berry refuses to sell. It turns out it's just Bond and Holly Berry in their underwear playing with the diamonds. Playing with a whole shitload of diamonds. Yeah, they Knowing get... they have to go back eventually. And he's putting it in her name. And then we cut to the credits and another rendition of Die Another Day. And thankfully this shit is over. <laughs> Again, not going to defend this movie because obviously you got your opinion about it. Do I dislike it? There's a lot of things about it I dislike. Do I watch it? Yeah, I watch it. It's a James Bond movie. I'm not not going to watch it. But yes, I agree that there's a lot of room for improvement. In Let's this go movie. over. Let's see. We've got a terrible Bond girl. Okay. Probably one of the most dreadful Bond villains ever. I think Gustav Graves. Yeah, Gus- yeah Graves he's is worse than yeah. He's worse than Drax. He's worse than Zorin. Mm, that's saying something. I-, I would put him above Drax. At least with Drax, I could see what Lonsdale was trying. I put him above Drax because, okay, even though he's a lousy villain, yeah. at least he's got some animation. Lonsdale goes through the movie like he's on Valium. Stefan's camps Gustav Grape up so much, you might as well put him in Tim Curry's outfit from Rocky Horror Picture Show. Now, Tim Curry would make a great Bond villain. Oh, of course. Really stupid fucking henchman. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We had, like I said, I've never seen henchmen that hated to use a gun so much in my we life. We had a dumbass script from Purvis and Wade, and I think that this is probably the worst, although Quantum of Born, I mean, Solace also comes close to being the stupidest Bond script ever. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'd rather watch this over Quantum of Solace. And in a series that has prided itself for 40 years for having stunt work that is in real time and having effects that is in real time, to have it be just a CGI orgy for its 40th anniversary is unforgivable. And I would like to say, as a long-time James Bond fan, I was disappointed that... The quote-unquote classic James Bond had to end on this note. Yeah. I would have much rather seen a much better movie. And uh, apparently, you're not the only one. And you're just like because I think this is one of the most poorly received James Bond. Yeah. It, it made money, but I mean, See, the, it, it didn't make a lot of money. And that's right. why I said but I'm the critics, really sure that this is what prompted MGM. Michael and Barbara would have been perfectly happy doing the same formula. But I think that's also why Quantum of, so- of, of Boredom. So, I mean, Salas is very much in that classic Bond tradition. That's why they went back to it. Well, they had to. They had went just about as far as they could yeah. go with James Bond. I mean, there was no I place to go further. I think they would be perfectly happy to have continued along this path if not MGM had said, screw this, we want changes. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Remember, this is no longer Michael Wilson and Barbara Bacoli in business for themselves. 
But this is the lowest of the low. And I also think that it was good career-wise for Pierce Brosnan. You should always leave James Bond right. on a high note. You shouldn't be like Roger Moore and hang around so long that it's actually embarrassing when you have a love scene right. with an actress. Young enough not to be just your daughter, but your granddaughter. It you is know. obvious. I, and I saw this in both The World Is Not Enough and this one. That, yeah, he was looking a little tired around the eyes. Yeah. He was beginning to look older. Makes me wonder if there was one in this sequence beyond this one, how much longer Bronson would have kept it up. Right. But I think that four movies, that was good enough. I think for any actor, four or five Bond movies, that's enough. It's like the Doctor Who thing. Where, that's where enough. Patrick Chan always said three years is always enough for yeah. to play Doctor Who. So we better sum up because we've been chewing people's ears for a while. Yeah. This is what they paid him. Oh, damn, they don't pay. That's, that's right. right. <laughs> Well, this is what they came to the party for. Maybe we should use our invisible cars to go and visit them and take money from them. But this brings us to the end of the Brosnan era. Yes. Let's sum up real quick. From your favorite to your least favorite, how do you rate uh, Brosnan's Bond? Right movies? now, after the, after the most recent viewing, GoldenEye, World, Tomorrow. Can I put some Roger Moore films in here now? Why? Because I refuse to make... Die another day, four. I'd like to make it 30th. <laughs> but we do agree that GoldenEye is yes. like the best. GoldenEye is the Golden. best. GoldenEye, the world is not enough. Tomorrow never dies and die another day. Yes, yeah. I, I will agree with that. And this was the last of Bond for about four years. When he comes back, he comes back with one of the better efforts in the entire series. Yep. Uh, we come back with a whole new Bond, a whole new look, a whole new attitude, a whole new approach. And we are told... Something that we've never seen before. The origin of James right. Bond. And we also will get into, when we get to this last episode of Guilt Edge Bombs, a lot of the controversy approaching the reception of this, as this film was coming closer. Because yeah. there was a lot of people who weren't happy. Oh, yeah. And yeah. they all ate crow. I'm not ashamed to admit, I was one of the people who ate crow. Uh-huh. Now, that in itself would be worth doing the episode for. <laughs> We're going to do the administrative stuff. To once again, briefly summarize, at least in my opinion, yeah. World is Not Enough, not very good, but at least it's ambitious in what it's trying to do. Yeah. Die Another Day is ambitious in how crappy it is. <laughs> but of course, as far as I'm concerned, Purvis and Wade, you can take your invisible car and shove it deep up your ass. Well, I don't understand how you can buy everything else in James Bond movies and you're going to bulk out an invisible car. And then you I can mean, go to a hotel I mean, in the Bolivian desert, jetpacks, guys with steel teeth, cars that turn into submarines. The list goes on and on and on. We come back to that phrase that I used several times during that review. To the extent that it is seen here. Okay. They used it to an extent that totally broke my suspension of disbelief. So. Didn't bother me. And you felt a little bit more charitable. Yeah, it didn't bother me because that's what I expect from a James Bond movie. Okay. I expect the visible cars. Is it time for the administrator then? Yes, it is. Okay, folks, once again, if you love us, if you hate us, if you think that Ian Wilson and Adon Fisher are not... Of you to a kill surrender monkeys. You can have several ways of giving this information. You can give us an email at betterinthedark at earth2.net. That's betterinthedark at earth-2.net. You can join one of our two mailing lists, one on the earth2.net website, and one, which is the one that's been longer standing, 
which is run by our good friend Eric Foam at mm-hmm. betterinthedark.proboards.com. You can go to Facebook and join the Better in the Dark Facebook group and become our friends because we both have. Yeah, both me and Tom are on Facebook now, so you can put our names in the search and yes. find up and be our friends there too. You can thrill to our adventures and our individual live journals, Derek's being Derek Ferguson's Notebook. And Tom's being Space Monkey Mafia. And, of course, we should also mention that we have a book coming out with a story by each of us yeah. called How the West Was Weird, which is available through Pulpworks Press. Which will be coming out in 2012, exactly when, I don't know. Along with your Dylan and the Golden Bell. Which will definitely be coming out in January. And the third, Derek Ferguson's movie notebook, and all sorts of goodies. Yeah. So, when we know exactly when they'll be coming out, you will know. Next time, we will cover the reign of Craig. Yep. And we will have champagne. Yeah, I'm trying to get Tom. Let's do it the whole haul. Let's do tuxedos and champagne. <laughs> so, until next time. Hire some beautiful babes to hang off our neck. I don't know if Patricia's going to go for that, though, but hey. Uh, I'll ain't pressing my love. Well, <laughs> hey, you know what? It depends. You can... If we're going to worse, I'll blame it on you. I'll say, what's oh, okay. idea? Oh, I'm sure Rosamund Pike isn't doing anything. <laughs> Until next time, before you get put into a stupid invisible car with some stupid Hollywood diva who thinks that deserves the same fight scenes as you do <laughs> and thinks that she can kill someone who is an Olympic level fencer is twice the person you are. Go, Go see, see that, that movie. movie! Good night. Good night. God bless. Hi. Hello. My name is Ken. And my name is Seth. We're the hosts of the Movies About Girls podcast. We'd like you to listen to our show because on our 50th episode, we're going to kill a guy. Until then, we're going to watch hardcore pornography and laugh at jerks. <laughs> so if you like tits and murder and gags and bitterness, then listen to the Movies About Girls podcast, the podcast for teenage losers of all ages. MoviesAboutGirls.com But the world's greatest terrorist running around with six kilos of weapons-grade plutonium can't be good. I have to get it back or somebody's going to have my ass. First things first. You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas D.J. and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to Ian and Adana for your ears only. Andy and John from the Hollywood Saloon. The members of the Pop Dose podcast, Eric Frome, and our friends at the Better in the Dark message board at betterinthedark.proboards.com. Better in the Dark would really like to commend Holly Berry for playing a major part in killing two franchises, and suggests she sets her sights on the Twilight films next. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, and pipe bombs to Better in the Dark at Earth2.net. That's Better in the Dark at Earth-2.net. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley, and why not leave us a review on iTunes? Better in the Dark is a conspiracy production presentation in association with the Earth2.net community of podcasts. All material copyright Thomas D.J. and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember that if a woman is willing to slice off the majority of her ear to prove that she did escape and wasn't just released, she's probably not good dating material. Bond. James Bond. <laughs>